Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I am joined by Erica Sosa today. Erica, I just realized I didn't ask if I pronounced your last name correctly. Is it Sosa? That's correct. Okay, yes. cool. Thank you. Whew. I always, I'm always wanting to make sure I get people's names right. And that was the one question I did not ask you for the 15 minutes we've already been talking before we hit record. Um, so erica i found you on instagram which seems to be where i find everybody and i've been following you for a little while i love the work that you do i love how visible you are how powerfully you show up with imagery and what you're exploring and i'm really excited to get into it with you so thank you so much for being here thank you for inviting me i'm really excited about this too yay um, so Erica, why don't we start out by you telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, so my name is Erica, as we stated many times. Um, I'm a bridal stylist right now. I am also a body justice educator, an erotic movement coach, and a stylist specifically for fat femmes. I love it. I love it. And in your in the bio that you sent me, there was one sentence that just really struck me, which is that you are interested in exploring the intersections between fatness, desirability, and visibility. And those three things together, I think, are so fascinating, and we're going to go into it today. Before we do, though, I'm going to ask the question I ask all my guests, which is your relationship to your journey with the word fat. How has this word showed up in your life so far? (laughs) You're right. Because I heard it when you were talking about it initially, and now here you asked me, I'm like, oh, gosh, that is loaded. And right now it's a word that i embrace and that i use and i see other people kind of flinch like oh i can't believe you're using that word but growing up it was definitely used as a term of insult like the worst thing that i could ever be in my life it was something that my mom definitely tried to correct by kind of pinching my arms and saying that you know you're getting a little fat um my grandparents will call me like gordita, which my parents are like, that's a term of ende- endearment. And I'm thinking, no, it's definitely not. And for a while, I used to just refer to myself as plus size, but that also never felt quite right. It felt like wearing kind of a jacket that's way too big and you're trying to make it work, but it just feels like you're being swallowed whole. And 
I came to accept the word fat as just a descriptor of my body when I actually started listening to Maintenance Phase, the podcast with Abby Gordon and Michael Hobbs. And I thought to myself, fat is simply a descriptor of my body. It's how my body stores this energy. And some people store their energy through muscles. Some people store their energy in different ways. And mine just happens to store in fat. And, you know, I take after my dad's side of the family. Why wouldn't I want to embrace my heritage, my body, all of this? And why would I want to let anyone else define the parameters of how I define my body? Okay, that is so powerful. And also, can we just, I mean, I give a million shout outs to Maintenance Space on this podcast, but like, isn't it revolutionary? I love that it directly changed how you feel about that word and like allowed you to reclaim it. Mm -hmm. Without any shame too, because it used to be so shameful and almost to the point where I would almost whisper like, I'm fat, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. y'all can see me. I'm not a ghost. <laughs> Right. It's like if I whisper it, maybe they won't notice that I'm here in my body. It's I know it's so isn't it? It's so amazing to me, like the gymnastics that we do mentally and physically and even tonally, like with our voices to to hide something that is very visible or feel like we have to hide something that is so visible. Right. Because of the kind of the cultural context around it. I'm, I really want to know, Erica, based on what you shared around your family. And I, I'm just, I'm always really curious about how the people around us, especially the ones that we know and love and know and love us, react, respond, what the impact is on them as we start to embrace the word fat and fat liberation. And I imagine perhaps what goes along with that is like stopping being the quote unquote good fatty, stopping dieting. Um, not, I mean, in my case, it was really like a rejection of allowing even diet talk around me, you know? So there was a lot of boundaries I started putting up with very mixed reactions. Some people were on board, some people 100% were not. And I'm, what was it like for you and your family and friends as you started to really own this word? And also the work that you do in the world is very centering of fat people. So how did that go for you? It was very mixed because I think of like the range of reactions from my closest friends. They were definitely on board. And some of them were, even when I explained like, you know, it's just the way my body holds energy. They're like, that is okay. I never thought of it that way. And I would never shame someone for saying like they're muscular or skinny. So they were rethinking their own relationship to fatness. But with my family and my mom in particular, <laughs> it's been more of a struggle. It continues to be a struggle because she talks about her own body so disparagingly sometimes. And my mom is very small. She's a very small woman. And there's always more, there's never a right weight for her. There's never a right body type for her personally. And it's, for me, it's very sad to see. But I have stopped like justifying my eating habits to her or explaining my eating habits or explaining my exercise habits. Like I have stopped justifying to her why I do the things that I do because one it's actually not her business and two it's feeding more into this like self-hatred and kind of bonding over self-hatred and I just don't want to do that anymore 
what I've realized more and more as I embrace the word fat, embrace my body and have stopped justifying my existence is there is a lot of weight talk among my coworkers. And I've mostly had to leave those conversations because it's when it's just not productive. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, why are we comparing numbers on a scale when we all know like scales are kind of arbitrary and they don't actually help anything and they don't measure anything. It's just, it is just a number that doesn't make an impact on your day to day. But two, I'm realizing like, <laughs> kind of like with people's ages, like nobody knows like what 200 pounds looks like or 250 or two, 300. Like nobody actually knows what that looks like. And we're just like throwing numbers at each other to rank each other in a very arbitrary way that we can't always control. It's like ranking each other by our ages. And like, it's a number that we cannot control. And someone's always going to be surprised for the better or for the worse. And why am I going to give you additional information for you to you potentially use against me? Oh my gosh. I'd never thought about it that way. These arbitrary numbers that we use to rank. Oh, well, and especially because you work in as a bridal consultant, I imagine like I remember when I brought, I bought, you know, my first wedding dress, the like the sizing was very different than regular clothing sizing. And you're doing this custom order and you just, you're like hoping and praying it arrives and fits. Like there's, there's, I see why like coworkers in that space, I imagine that was the coworkers you were talking about. Like in that space, there is a real fixation on measurements of bodies, right? It's kind of part of that environment. I wonder, I mean, I have heard from, you know, so many people that workplaces, like especially lunch times for workplaces are wrought with fraught, rot, whichever the word is, um, with diet culture conversations and, ooh, look, I'm being bad today. I'm eating bread or whatever the bullshit diet culture stuff is. But I, I, I'm just imagining your workplace with so much focus on size of bodies. It's almost maybe like it's even more in the forefront. Do you think, like, does that, does that feel true to you? It's almost compulsive. Like I think about when, because it's appointment-based, so there are times where we're just standing in the front just kind of chit-chatting, and I think about how the conversation almost compulsively like gravitates back to body and body image, and um, I have a coworker who almost every story she tells about like what she's wearing or what she was wearing like five, ten years ago, she would say, like, I was much tinier then, and I look at her, and I think... Number one, you were absolutely gorgeous. I don't know what you're talking about. But number two, that doesn't need to be a prelude to anything. And number three, you're also very small still. So I don't, are you trying, I don't understand. Like, why does that need to be a prelude? Like, you, to me, you kind of look the same, but that's just me. Great. Yeah, like that constant need to like position ourselves. You know, you see me here, but I was this before. Like that's, yeah, why is why we're so obsessed with that? I yeah, I don't know because it's not. Again, it's not an indicator other than like your body is processing energy a different way. Your lifestyle has probably changed. You're getting older, or 
what, you know, whatever. It's just like your body being a body. And I don't, I don't understand why that needs to be a day. I would say daily, but I'm not there every day, but like a shift work talk. Right. Yeah. Every time. I feel like it's for me when you're talking about this, it's, it's reminding me of how much our own sense of self-worthiness is tied into how close are we to that top body hierarchy ladder that Sonia Renee Taylor talks about, which is, you know, the thinner you are, the wealthier you are, the whiter you are, the more cis you are as, you know, being cis, being hetero, not being neurodivergent, like all of that. Yeah. And like, so that prelude that your coworker uses is like, but I, I, I used to be a rung up on the ladder. So I still get like half points for that. It's almost like that kind of desire to, oh, it's exhausting. I find it exhausting. Yeah. When those conversations happen, I think I would rather go do actual work and then I just run off and organize something or <laughs> just go uh, organize by style, color, like whatever, just to get away from that conversation because I'm thinking I'm not going to change. If you're already using this compulsively, one conversation, two conversations, or even like, a regular conversation with me saying um, the things that I just said about like weight and body and all that other stuff, it's not going to change your mind. And also I'm don't want to be the fat token in these conversations to reassure you your body is fine. That's also not my role. Right. Yeah. That's a great boundary that you have around that in the workplace. Yeah. That's smart. That's smart. Cause I, I, Oh, I struggle with that because part of me, I don't want to be the token fat person or the angry fat person as I often am in these situations to be like, hang on a minute. But, and the emotional labor of that, which is exhausting. Um, and the truth that probably not going to change heart and mind, hearts and minds that are very dedicated to believing certain things. So that's a, that's a really great boundary to have. I, I love that you've got that. So in this is the perfect kind of way into the work that you do as a bridal consultant. So tell us a little more about that. How did you get into that? Do you uh, specifically focus on fat plus size brides? Like, do they feel drawn to you for that reason? Like, I'm just, I'm so curious about all of those aspects of this work that you do, because my goodness, if there is a place where diet culture and anti-fat and weight stigma is so present. It is the wedding day industry. So talk to us about wedding days and the, I mean, is it too strong to use the word trauma that they cause brides? <laughs> you must see it every day. Yeah. So the work that I do um, at this bridal store, it's appointment based. So it's kind of like whoever I get is who I get, but I, no matter your body size, it seems like I would say 95% of people are looking for ways to sh reduce, to shrink their body and like make it seem smaller than it actually is. It doesn't matter if you're a size four. And like we were talking about earlier, bridal sizes are very different than regular size clothing. It's usually cut smaller. Um, but it doesn't matter if you're a bridal size four or a bridal size 28. It seems like most people are looking to to shrink the way that they look to make themselves look smaller. So 
whoever I get is just whoever I get. I originally got into it because I quit my job as a real estate paralegal and I wanted to move into something more fashion, more working with people. And this stylist job showed up, I applied and I got it. I think the selling point was I told them the Met Gala is my Super Bowl and that was <laughs> that's great i would hire you if you said that too <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> i look forward to like the first monday of may every year <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> the longer i've worked there uh i've been told like anyone who struggles with body image they send it to either me or another coworker who's been there for a long time so what I try to do like towards the beginning of the appointment is I let them know, especially if they brought like a large group of people with them. Large groups of people usually means a lot of opinions, a lot of room for criticism. So I tell them up front, number one, don't look at the size. That's my job. Number two, um, bridal cuts very small, like I just said. So it it doesn't even matter the size. It just matters like what is going to fit your body. Number three, Whatever dress you pick or whatever dress I help you pick, you're going to look absolutely beautiful in it. It's just about what you feel good in and what you feel comfortable in. And I'll reiterate that point throughout the appointment. Like, you look absolutely beautiful in this dress. However, you don't look comfortable. And I don't really focus on, like, this makes you look smaller or this A-line skirt is going to make you look smaller. And I've had appointments where there's someone who is my size or larger and they'll say, so A-line and ball gown are good for girls like us because they cover the stomach. I'm like, no, not necessarily because I'm standing right in front of you and I'm wearing like a bodycon skirt and very fitted clothes. So I'm not trying to hide my body. It's about what you feel comfortable in. And if you're not there yet, if you don't want to wear something form fitting, then that's fine you're going to look uncomfortable in your pictures. So let's focus on something that you feel good in and that you feel beautiful in and, and that you, that I see you smiling and moving around and like touching the dress and all that. Like once I see that, I know like you feel confident in this dress. Yeah. I love that. And then the entourage. <laughs> How can you, I don't know if you can, but I'm, I'm imagining, I actually really love, and it always surprises me, but I really love watching like the, those bridal shows like at Kleinfeld. And I was telling you, and I can't, I can't remember the name and I'll, I'll have to look it up, but there was a show where it was a bridal boutique, I think Australia, or was it the UK? I feel like it was Australia where that was for specifically for plus size brides and there's the two women consultants that work there are just they're both fat they are bold about their fatness they are really empowering about exactly what you said you want to feel like you're most you you want to feel comfortable and they actually like sh they'll shut down the people who are with them like no we don't say that here <laughs> So I'm always like, oh, like, like that's, so I, I'm really curious if you're able to share about what you, how you have seen the impact of 
other people, like their family and friends, who are there to quote unquote support the bride, and actually they destroy the confidence. Have you seen that happen? I have. I had a bride who came back three times. She came once by herself to narrow down her list of choices, came down a second time with her fiance to make sure he liked her choices, and then came with her family. And the first two appointments were great, even with the fiance. Like, he was not paying too much attention, but he would be like, yeah, baby, you look great. Like, you look amazing. Da, 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 da. Like, he was very reassuring. But when her family came, I pulled some of all her favorite dresses and I was like, you look stunning in the, like, this is going to be a hard choice because you look stunning in all of them. And she was like, she was tall. She was fat. She, and, but she was just very stunning. Not, but, but, you know, she was very stunning. And her family only really focused on this makes you look too wide. This makes your shoulders look too wide. You look like a linebacker. Da, da, da. So I usually let the brides like get in and out of their dresses by themselves and I'll zip them up or lace them up or whatever. But this is like one of the few times I went into the dressing room with her and I would ask her, you know, how are you feeling? Do you want to keep going with this appointment? You know, that's not true because you've looked beautiful in all of these dresses. And we try these dresses on several times and you, like you look great in all of them. So what do you want to do? Do you want to keep going or do you want to stop? Well, I could cry for this bride right now. It was, it was brutal. Like I've, the moms are usually more critical than the bride is of herself. And it makes the brides hypercritical because they have in their ear someone who's kind of a reflection of all their worst thoughts. Yes. Being spoken out loud in front of a whole bunch of people when the stakes are really high. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, talk about the intersections of fatness, desirability and visibility. Like that is it. I mean, there's, and the marketing world around <laughs> weddings has gone bananas. So it is like touted as the most important day and blah, blah, blah. As someone who's been married multiple times, I know it's total bullshit, um, but we, we, it's hard not to buy into it when you are in the planning process and it's a big deal and you're often lots of money being invested and you, there's a, it's a very high stakes environment. And then so to feel like your body is betraying you or have a family member, like a mom basically pointing out how your body is betraying this day. Oh God. And they always like reassure me. Well, not always, but there are many times where I'm in the appointment because I just don't do bridal. I do mother of the bride, prom, bridesmaids. And they always like when I say, Oh, I think we need to go a size up because the way it's cut, one is cut for women who are five nine. It's cut smaller. It's cut in certain proportions. So, you know, it's not cut for like someone who's larger up top and smaller at the bottom. So I'm like, okay, so we just need to go to size up and it could be altered in the skirt and da da da. No, no, no. I'm going to lose weight. Okay. Well, let's not add that to your to-do list. Let's find something that fits you now. And if that happens in a month or two months, 
then okay, we can exchange it for a smaller size if that's the case. But right now, let's focus on something that fits you because I would rather you get something that fits you and that you feel great in than you get something smaller. Now you have additional pressure to fit into this dress. And it's the week before you still don't fit into this dress. Now you got to get a new dress and you're out like $200. So have you had that happen? Have do do brides get upset when you're like, hey, let's focus on what fits you now? No, no, no. I'm going to lose the weight. Like, do they really, does that happen? That has happened before. It's happened one time um, that I know of. It mostly happens to like mother of the brides where they insist they're going, or brides say they insist they're going to lose the weight. Da, 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 da. Um, the only time where I'm not going to talk someone out of it is if they're pregnant and they're like, well, I'm pregnant. I'm going to give birth. And based on my last kid, this is what's going to happen. I'm like, okay, you know what? You know your body. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you otherwise. Um, but other people who are just like, I'm, they tell me their diet. <laughs> they tell me their weight loss plan. And then they tell me the date of the event. And sometimes I have to kind of be a little bit more harsh with them. Like, let's look at it this way. The wedding is in two months. This is two sizes too small. So that means you have to lose about 16 pounds, which is technically doable but it's not just it's not the science that you think it is it's a whole holistic thing and also let's just find a dress that fits you and not add like an additional layer of distress to an already stressful event yeah uh the ways that we torture ourselves and we don't have to but brides who do buy smaller and then it doesn't fit them like i just had an appointment and where that happened our appointments are supposed to be an hour long this appointment took two and a half hours but um she came in and just immediately was like i feel like a can of stuffed biscuits went in this dress and i have my spanks i have all this other stuff to like make herself look smaller so i said okay well we're gonna pick some dresses that you might actually like and i'm gonna have you try on this dress again we're gonna see what you don't like about it and we'll go from there so and the ensemble she or not the ensemble the entourage she brought with her they were all very supportive they're very lovely they were like you know you need to find something that you feel good in it doesn't matter like really about looking smaller so i'm like fantastic thank you entourage <laughs> but she tried on her first dress immediately i was, i saw i was like the straps are digging into your shoulders it's too small and you don't look comfortable and you're justifying like all the ways you can make it work and the ways that you could lose weight and look smaller. And I'm like, your wedding is in December. It's that's not that far away. I mean, you have a little bit of time, but it's not that far away. And, you know, there are other dresses here that you might feel more comfortable in. And again, the dress is too small. Yeah. Ah. Oh. And what's it like for you? I mean, because we were just talking about like hearing your coworkers talk about body weight, you have to kind of step away from. But then you have clients who are doing the same thing that you can't really step away from. So what is your approach to keep yourself okay, feeling okay, feeling safe in those situations? How do you manage that piece? Lots of deep breaths, but... <laughs> 
because like you said i can't step away from the appointment but um with that bride in particular i told her i said we're going to be here while i would not recommend wearing these banks the whole time because you don't know in south carolina if it's going to be hot or it's going to be cold and you say you're going to get married outside and it just feels like you're adding an extra layer of discomfort so I got her out of the spank. So I was like, okay, great. A win. I have small wins. Yes. Yes. Small <laughs> moments of victory. So I really tried to navigate the bridal appointment from just looking your smallest or just looking like perfect. Because I think that's what a lot of brides go into their appointments. Like, I want to look absolutely perfect. But... That's not realistic. Even if you look absolutely stunning, you're not going to look perfect. You're not going to look like the paid models in the advertisements that are also airbrushed. I mean, it's like they're not perfect. Like that's this is why dye culture is so fucking insidious. There is no perfect. And yet we're all striving for it. This thing we've been told. And then we just do gymnastics to to try to be this thing that is such an illusion anyway. Oh my God. And then it all comes to a head in your appointments and you have to like help them through that. Oh my God. That is, that's a lot of gymnastics, Sarah. (laughs) You must be the most patient person. I get that a lot. And I never considered myself patient. But if you look at the reviews of me as a stylist in this store, Erica is very patient. I'm like, okay. I don't focus on like looking perfect or being perfect for this one single one single crystallized moment day. Even on the day things are going to go wrong logistically and you're going to be stressed. But in your pictures, in the pictures you pay for that you're probably going to be airbrushed and you know posed perfectly, you're you're not really going to remember all the stress or all those times that you tried to cover up your body and everything. You're going to remember like how good you feel. So in our appointments, I try to go away just just from the looks. Hello, lovely. I'm jumping into the middle of this episode to let you know that I've started a newsletter on Substack because I've been craving a space where we can have more immediate connection, a space where I can share musings and various resources connected to fat liberation and fat joy. Um, and of course, the place where I can share behind the scenes details about fat joy, the podcast, the guests, all that good stuff. Um, as a thank you for becoming a subscriber, you'll get access to 55 bonus videos from guests as they answer answer 10 rapid fire questions. You can become a subscriber for free and there's an option to become a paid supporter as well for $5 a month, which will help me continue to make this podcast. You can see all the details at fatjoy.substack.com. Because I'm like, you're going to look beautiful in this dress, but how do you feel? Because how you feel is going to show up in how you look. And if you feel uncomfortable, like if the lace is itchy, if you don't like the sleeves, if the skirt is too plain, like all this other stuff, that's going to show up on your face. And that's what's going to make your pictures not so great to look at is you're going to be uncomfortable. So focusing from strictly what you look like to how you feel is how I keep my own sanity and how the bridal appointments can 
and just the appointments in general can be more successful. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I love that. Yeah, the it's like a mindset shift, a reframe from this view that a bride may be holding or a mother of the bride may be holding of the bride or of themselves in their minds and actually focusing on, hey, this is a really special day filled with love and hope and joy. How do I want to feel? Like that's a really important shift. And it gets away. I mean, perfectionism is a construct of white supremacy. Like it has been constructed and given to us to keep us, oh, I mean, there's a whole, I won't go into my whole soapbox around this, but to, but to keep us basically operating like robots, not questioning oppression, not looking deeper at racism and anti-fatness and ableism and all these things that are designed to not have us rebel against the structures that we're forced to live in. And so, yeah, like not conforming and actually just focusing on, hey, I want to feel comfortable and joyful and like I can dance at my own wedding and that my shoes are comfortable and that I really can be present in the moment. I mean, the day goes by so fast. You don't want to be like futzing at your shirt or like, you know, moving straps around and mm-hmm. yeah, like, or having stuff dig into you or being uncomfortable in any way. I remember my first wedding halfway through, I had this gorgeous dress, corset top halfway through. um, This is before I became liberated. I was very deep in anti-fatness at the time. I had to like go down to the bridal suite area that was at the reception hall. And I had to have, I think it was my mom, like come and like undo the corset. Cause I couldn't breathe. I couldn't dance. I couldn't breathe. And I love dancing. And I basically, I remember hearing a forget because it was like my number one requested song was um an usher song that i hear in my brain but i forget the title um but it was playing and i was downstairs not being able to breathe because my freaking corset dress i had been tied too tight for me to be comfortable so like i missed out on beautiful moments everyone's like oh my god did you see your dad dancing to usher i'm like no I was, you know, not able to breathe in the basement. And like, how sad that I missed out on probably half an hour of my own wedding because I had chosen a dress that would cinch me (laughs) and make me look a certain way and be performative. And um, yeah, yeah. I didn't have someone like you who was like, hey, how about we focus on your comfort? That would have been great. Although I may not have listened. I wonder if that's also something you face. Like people, like I probably would have been like, um, no, Erica, cinch me in. <laughs> Sometimes like people, people don't want to do the whole mindset shift or do they just want to focus on how they look. So I'll ask them questions. And now I have a new question to ask. Like, do you like to dance? Yes. <gasps> yes. 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 Yes, that's a new question I got to put in the back of my head. Um, but, you know, I get them thinking more about like their wedding day. Um, is it going to be inside? Is it going to be outside? Is it going to be in the summer? Like I have the date, but it's like, is it going to be in a more shady area? What is it going to be like? Because then I might not put you in a port set, no matter how much you want to look, uh, what do I say? Snatched to the gods. Like no matter how much. <laughs> Snatched. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can still look snatched to the gods no matter what your um, body type looks like. But, you know, it, I won't put you in a corset dress if you're going to get married in a vineyard because I don't think there's going to be a lot of shade. I don't want you to focus on, like, shuffling your feet around or being, like, so hot. My dress is, like, clinging to me, that kind of thing. So, you know, even if it's not questions that are directly, like, let's worry about being comfortable, it'll be kind of more insidious questions, but not maliciously insidious. Just, like, I'm going to try and get you as beautiful and comfortable as you possibly can be. Yeah, I think that's so important, like having them step away from this like magazine image that's been airbrushed that they have in their minds and more like, okay, let's look. I think that's brilliant. Like, let's look today. The other thing I think about is, I mean, how much did you pay for that meal? Don't you want to enjoy it? Like you're probably $50 a plate. Like, let's enjoy that salmon or beef or whatever (laughs) is being served to guests, right? So that that was another thing that I really didn't get to do either. That's another thing I have all my brides do is just like I'm like you're you're gonna have to sit down at some point. You're gonna have to sit and like eat. So sit down in that chair for me. And if it's too tight, if I see you doing this <laughs> or like shifting around, it's too tight. Yeah, just for for those of you who aren't watching the YouTube version of this, Erica kind of like raised her shoulders and had her arms kind of like on her rib cage or her hands on her rib cage, which is like, yeah, if you're too tight, it's like it reminds me of speaking of the Met Gala, like, you know, when like this, everyone worries about going up the stairs because the dresses are too tight and you have to like hop up. You want to be doing that on your wedding day. You want to be able to sit and eat and dance and move and like, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh you don't want a, like a quick little side note of like too tightness but I had a bride um she had been fitting in size fours like through the whole appointment so I put her in a corset mermaid and I was like surely this will fit because like corsets you can technically go down a size and this is the size she was fitting in this whole time surprise to all of us it was way too tight <laughs> but she loved the color we ended up ordering like her right size, but we found her right size in that particular dress, which again shows even if you have a size, because the way it's cut doesn't mean it's always going to be your size. But um, she put on a size four again to like do our tradition of like I said yes to the dress, and the third, the second time, like I had to get her out of this dress. I had to literally peel her out, like start up from the top and like roll the dress down until her her butt was like in my face of me peeling down the dress. You never want to get to a point like for one of the most expensive, important days of your life where someone has to literally peel you out of a dress. <laughs> right? That is not sexy. <laughs> that is not fun. It's not fun. It's not sexy. And you don't ever want to remember that part of your wedding day. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. It's, I, I feel like at the core of everything we've just been talking about is this, the, the very conflicted, challenging, indoctrinated without our consent view of our own bodies when they are made very visible. Um, again, coming back to that trio of things that you examine in the work that you do, these intersections of fatness, desirability, and visibility, and how that all gets very high stakes on a big day, like a wedding day. One of the other things that I really am excited to talk to you as well, Erica, about is how 
what we've just been talking about, like I said, really boils down to how we feel about our bodies, how connected we are, how comfortable we are with them, irrespective of what we're told by all the external influences and how sometimes we have to really take a stand to find new ways to be comfortable with our bodies. And I think this is the work that you do as a neurotic movement coach for Fat Femmes. So can you tell us a little bit about that work? Because I, I feel it's it's so connected. It's like when we are really disconnected from our body, <laughs> what happens in the bridal store is what happens in the bridal store, right? Like we're, we are just following parameters set by oppression as opposed to then the work that you do with fat femmes around erotic movement and connecting to their own bodies exactly as they are is so in rejection of that rebellion of that and you know i love rebellion so tell us a bit more about that work so I am also a pole dancer. I haven't done it in a while, but I'm also a pole dancer. And in the pole industry, you do not see a lot of fat femmes. I can name exactly three of them besides myself that you see on a large scale. And during the lockdown part of COVID, I got more into, you know, I was by myself. I didn't really have like a whole bunch of people in a studio with me that I can look and see, well, they're getting that move so quickly, like inverting themselves and climbing up things that, you know, if you don't have more weight, it's easier to do. So I didn't really have other people to compare myself to. And I also didn't have a pole. So I had to do more dancing, like floor work dancing. So dancing on the floor, dancing around in a room by myself and being instructed by another person. And it allowed me to and I took more workshops that were just like about connecting to your body, like, you know, touching like your arm as you move or, you know, letting your head guide your movement. It was more about like, what is your body doing in the movement? So it wasn't so much about how I looked. It was about how I felt. And when I would watch the videos back of myself, because I always recorded myself, it was like, this is truly one of the hottest things I've ever seen because I was so present in my body and being present in my body allowed me to appreciate it. It allowed me to move. It allowed me to explore different pathways of movement. So as I started, you know, my blog and looking towards my business, I wanted to incorporate that more focused specifically on fat femmes because we're so neglected. We're so used to being told in movement spaces of, you know, just push through it or maybe this move isn't for you without being offered any modifications or any new pathways to get to that same movement. So what that looks like is I might have a client who already is a move, who already dances and they're performing and they want to like add more floor work or add more sensuality to it. So I can see like, all right, what have you already choreographed? What's the song that you've picked? What do you have a costume in mind? And then we can work from there. So if you want to like add more overt sexiness, let's do some hip bumps. So like basically your back is arched and you bump your hips from side to side. It's pretty like self-explanatory, but like what can we do so you feel more overtly sexy? You want to do more sensuality? You 
like this is your very first thing let's just focus on like very slow beginner stretches just connecting with your body first before we even get into any concrete floor movement because again like for me it was I had to see myself so connected with my body where I was just moving where I can like appreciate it and like find new ways to move Mm, yeah it just when you were talking I just had this thought of like we're turning the gaze from being externally focused, like how others are seeing us. Same, it's, it's so interesting. It is the same that you do with your brides too, to having it be an internal focus. Like how am I feeling about how I'm looking? How am I feeling about my body and how it feels in this in this moment? And I also feel like it sounds like there's a real um, mm, lessening of always just being in our heads and and coming like what feels good to my body what movement would feel good and i don't know there's something about like trusting our bodies and the way they want to move and i can see that i just i'm just thinking about it for myself like i can imagine the real challenge of that too like not wanting again this external view like not wanting to look stupid or awkward or weird and but actually that's maybe just the way your body wants to move. And that also gets to be okay. I don't know. Is there a balance? Is there a tension between what we do for ourselves and what feels good to our bodies and if, and what is viewed externally, like how other people would see it? Yeah. I call it like the greatest, you know, reverse <laughs> because, um, I love, I love being seen. I love being displayed. And I don't know if it's like my personality or if you want to get super woo-woo with it. Like I have a lot of Leo in my chart. So I'm like, everybody needs to see me all the time. Yes, me too. <laughs> I, have, I have a strong Leo too. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed like the pattern that I saw is when I was so overt, like I'm hot, I'm sexy, look at me. People would be like, Oh, I'm looking at you and you're right. You are hot and sexy. So, but I was like feeling it more. It wasn't, it wasn't a performance. Even if I was like doing like performance, like things, it wasn't a performance. It was truly me being like, I'm hot. I'm going to put on this bikini and pose by the pool because I'm hot. I'm going to dance in the skimpiest outfit I can think of because I'm sexy and you're welcome. You know, it, it was truly like I was feeling it. I was embodying it. So it is indeed like the biggest uno reverse that i could ever tell other people like you want people to think you're hot you really have to believe it right and there's so much research that proves this but we don't believe it um it's yeah and like so if we take that same scenario if you were thinking about what is someone else going to think i'm hot or what would someone else think of this tiny bikini that i'm going to put on and dance around in in the moment would your brain or your inner critic get in the way and be like oh i probably shouldn't wear the bikini like would you actually behave differently if you went with just what your head thought <laughs> i i usually do um and even that like cuz i do this work i'm so visible about it i'm so visible about flaunting myself but i am also I also acknowledge, like, I still have that inner critic, <laughs> even though I celebrate my body as is, I love my body as is, and I don't want to change it. I still have that inner critic of, 
ugh, my stomach is hanging down a little too low. And I'm like, okay, like, who cares? That is, I also now have the tools to be, to refute that pretty quickly. Like, who cares? And people who are going to criticize it. One, why are you taking time out of your day to criticize me? Two, you found me. Three, you watched the whole thing. So what, (laughs) what are we doing here? You know, (laughs) right. Do you have tips for people? Like, what are maybe your three go-to ways of dealing with your own inner critic? Like, what could you, what would you tell people who are listening who want to get a little bit of your confidence, a little bit of your like, oh, I'm sexy in my own body vibe. What would you tell them to do? I think the one of the first things that I did is I gave my inner critic a name and it was like the douchiest white guy name I could think of. And it goes back and forth between Kyle and Brad. I'm like, <laughs> right? do I really care about what Kyle or Brad thinks? No. Can I just say that is a legit technique to personify your inner critic so that it's not this like big, scary voice. It's like, Kyle, shut the fuck up. Like it's a totally changes it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you did that. Yeah. So everyone listening, give your inner critic a name, build them as a character make them less scary like it what what doing that makes them less scary they could still be the monster that you that you feel they are but yeah that's a legit way to to uh de-escalate the the scariness of our inner critic i love that <laughs> kyle brad <laughs> <laughs> like truly like the worst names i could think of so like if you decide if you have an ex that you can't stand boom inner critic don't Don't give them the satisfaction of being right. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. That's so good. What else would you suggest to people? So, and this is like, you kind of have to be like in this mindset already of like, I'm hot and I know it, but I I have a lot of selfies. I have a lot of videos. So um, if I, if my inner critic, if Brad just will not shut up for some reason, then I have like, photographic evidence of you are wrong because if I if I'm all the things that you're saying that I am then how could I do this how could I look like this how could I move like this you are wrong you know like I have the evidence to prove it yes that is so great it's like fighting the logic with logic which is it's like prove it oh yeah here we go here are 10,000 photos of where I'm smoking yeah Oh, I love that. And that you have them readily available Mm -hmm. for you. That's so good. Exactly. And then if you have the time to do this, the last thing that I do if I'm not feeling, um, and it's not even an inner critic thing. Like sometimes I just feel like blah and that like maybe it's too hot outside or maybe I didn't get enough sleep, but I want to feel good is, um, and even right now, like I did that because I'm, I don't, I'm a little tired. So I put on an outfit or a dress. Like I, it's, I need a special occasion to go to this kind of place. So right now I have like a little red mini dress on and it's fun. It's sexy. And I just grabbed some coffee this morning and it lifted my mood up a little bit. And I'm like, I'm hot. You're welcome. And what about my day? (laughs) I love that. Right. You, yeah, there's almost, there's like a rich, a bit of a ritual piece to that. Like, let me put something on me or in proximity to me that helps 
give me that boost that helps create the feeling that I want to feel right now. Yeah. I love that. I do that a lot with jewelry. Like right now I'm wearing my big gold, um, or probably brass. I don't know, but like, what's this name of this plant? Monstera plant leaf Monstera. Yeah. Um, and like my, my, um, lapis lazuli, huge ring, like for me, jewelry really does it, but it's like where we have these like touchstones or totems, or like you said, like the dress, like, yeah, like the sexy red dress, mini, no doubt, no less, right? Like, and how that gets to, and I think how that gets to help us, but I think what you're speaking to, Erica, that I think is really powerful, and I just want to underscore for people, is that you're doing it intentionally. It's not an accident you put on this dress. It's not an accident I chose this ring. Like, when we, we can shift and choose intentionally to feel how we want to feel, and that, like, to me, that's where the the power of our lives can live is in that choice. Mm-hmm. Everything is very intentional. And I, I used to really like, even just walking around, like hunch my shoulders in, like do whatever I could to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm taking up space. And I wouldn't like pull my hair back if it was too hot. Cause how dare I show the roundness in my face. But Sometimes the outfit calls for updates. Sometimes it's just too hot to wear, um, to wear my hair down or to not wear shorts and a tank top, you know, like I made it so intentional about my choices that I've stopped apologizing for my body or how much space I take up. I mean, hell yes. (laughs) Amazing. I feel like that goes perfectly into the final question, Erica, which is around joy. Like, how do you, what's your relationship to joy? How do you choose it? How do you intentionally bring it in? So, and this feels like a little bit more loaded question because I'm like, I work so much in retail, so tired all the time, but it really is like in the styles that I choose. So I choose styles that are gonna highlight my body that I feel good in um unfortunately I have to wear a lot of black now it's just dress code but like I still choose like body suits because I look sexy in them I choose like mini skirts because I'm like I have great legs and I look even when I go to work I should still look good and I want to feel like I look good um and when I have off time like there's a pool outside of my apartment complex and I wear bikinis that I want to wear or bathing suits that I want to wear I've stopped like thinking about my body as a political statement or something to apologize for. And I just style it the way that I want to style it. So, and I'm not always like big and like, look at me. Sometimes I want to be more understated and I style it that way. Just whatever makes me feel happy and comfortable is what I'm going to pursue. And whatever makes me feel appreciated. And it, it it doesn't always come down to like how I look. It's mostly like, how do I feel? So if I don't feel so good and I want to feel really connected to my body, maybe sometimes it's just taking a shower and picking out my favorite Bath and Body Works lotion and just taking the time to put that on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, like the intentionality is so there. And I think that's what's so interesting to me about joy, I really do feel like we can cultivate it and we can choose it and we can set the conditions to feel joy. Like you can set the conditions by choosing an outfit or choosing a lotion, taking a shower. And you know that that does shift how you feel 
and bring, it's like creating the space to allow joy to come in. Yeah, beautiful. And it's not letting other di- other people dictate it based on how they think you should be feeling. Yeah, that's another essential component here is like, yeah, like figuring out how we can let go of that pretty constant thought, at least in my case, I was just brought up to always be brought up by family, but also by society to always be thinking about how my body and how I was acting and what I was thinking was being viewed by others. And it's like, no, how do I feel? How do I think? What do I, how do I want to behave independent of all of that? And that's, God, talk about unlearning a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm still doing it. I still catch myself in it. And yeah, I just, this this whole conversation has really been about refocusing ourselves towards our own selves. And like you said, independent of how others and how society dictates we should or should not be. So I'm so grateful for this conversation, Erica. I feel very empowered by it. I'm like, where's my red mini dress? I'm going to go put that on. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. It's been so fun. And the time flew by like that. Right? I know it does. I feel, I always feel like I'm like, oh, could I have a five-hour podcast with each guest? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you back. <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. For this episode with Erica, I chose the poem Freedom by Langston Hughes. I love the defiance of this poem and the deep frustration of not being able to live and be free, um, which is what so many people living in marginalized identities feel. So felt really resonant for my conversation with Erica. Here it is, Freedom by Langston Hughes. Freedom will not come today this year, nor ever through compromise and fear. I have as much right as the other fellow has to stand on my two feet and own the land. I tire so of hearing people say, let things take their course, tomorrow is another day. I do not need my freedom when I'm dead. I cannot live on tomorrow's bread. Freedom is a strong seed planted in a great need. I live here too. I want my freedom just as you. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. 
All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And we'll talk again soon. 